Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your guest host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. In today's special episode, we're going to introduce you to the newest edition of the HR Daily Advisor podcast network and premiere the debut episode of our new show, A Seat at the Table. A Seat at the Table is a podcast dedicated to diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace, featuring thoughtful conversations and insight from many of the experts, changemakers, and leaders in the HR industry. Right now, I'm joined by lead editor of HR Daily Advisor and host of A Seat at the Table, Bianca Heron. Bianca, welcome to the HR Works podcast, and thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right. So before we jump into this first episode, why don't you tell us a bit more about at the table and get us kicked off? Of course. When it comes to diversity, good intentions are only the beginning. In this podcast, we'll hear from DEI leaders about what having a seat at the table means to them and why it's important to have one. We'll also discuss best practices to help leaders foster healthier, more inclusive, and productive workplaces that ultimately drive innovation and business results. Join us as we move the needle forward one meaningful conversation at a time. Our first episode features Carrie Ann Flat, Chief People Officer at Zapari. Enjoy. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, our very first episode of A Seat at the Table. And as I said before, there is no one I could have imagined uh, starting this with. So I appreciate your time. You're giving me all the feels at the start of this uh, session. First and foremost, thank you for those wonderful words. Uh, I have such a great time speaking with you, and I'm really looking forward to talking today. Absolutely. And, and that's what we're here, as we already uh, agreed upon. You know, this is a conversation. Of course, yes, this is a safe space. And, you know, I truly believe that words are truly empowering. Uh, we just have to understand the value of them, right? Uh, not be afraid to communicate, you know, not be afraid to be honest and show ourselves. And, you know, this is how we move the needle forward. So we're just going to dive straight into it. Agreed. What is your definition of having a seat at the table? That's a great question. Uh, and when I think of having a seat at the table, the first thing I think about uh, is having a voice. And the second thing I think about is early in my career, there were actually meetings where you physically couldn't have a seat at the table. There was a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. There were people who were allowed to sit at the table proper. And then there were other people who had to sit in the periphery of the room. Mm -hmm. So when I think about that, I think about sitting on the periphery and still having a voice. And on the other side, you know, how I physically got to, to that inside of the table. But when we think of having a seat at the table, what we, we think about is how we influence and how we influence those decision makers. And I think about that from a bunch of different lenses. I think of that from the HR lens, where more often than not, uh, sometimes we don't have a seat at the table because in some organizations, HR is perceived as a function that's less important than others, right? And part of my lifelong mission has been to convince people that organizations work because people work. And that's why you need to pay you know, a lot of attention to that infrastructure and that strategy. And then um, on the other side, I, I think about how we influence you know, in our day-to-day our -day lives, right? 
A seat at the table could mean the boardroom. A seat at the table could mean your exec team. A seat at the table could mean any body where a, a decision is being made, right? Um, and so that's what that means to me. And my journey has been a lot towards making sure other people have a seat at the table as well. Absolutely. And beautifully said. Uh, of course, uh, as I already mentioned, I'm going to harken back to your uh, Faces of HR profile, uh, which again, if you haven't read it already, please, listeners, uh, go take a gander. It's certainly worth uh, the read, and I'll link to it as well uh, here in this episode. Uh, but I love how you said that you weren't supposed to be in HR, right? Yes. Uh, you've uh, started out in finance, right, in business operations, and then, of course, you uh, maneuvered, if you will, right, uh, throughout the way, and people kept trying to keep you out of HR. Yeah. I also love that you said that you uh, you have an HR superpower. Would you mind talking about that? I do. Uh, I My HR superpower uh, is communication, but also it's strengths finding. I can meet with somebody for a short amount of time and be able to identify their unique gifts and strengths. And if I can't identify it just in myself by talking, I can leverage coaching questions to unearth this great information from the person I'm meeting to help you know, understand what their, their superpowers are. And then the second part of that is I can understand where people's strengths and gifts are and then can understand from an organizational perspective how to best leverage them. Absolutely. Beautiful things uh, as well. And certainly, of course, to me, uh, important pieces uh, in the HR world today of course, yes, that's your HR superpower. No one can take it from you, right? But how important are those two things in the world of HR today? It's huge, right? Um, it's huge right now because identifying strengths in organizations as organizations change is huge. Uh, we have a lot of uh, turnover that's happening in a lot of different organizations. And when you have that turnover, you're forced to think creatively about how you're going to you know, reshuffle the deck, what you're going to do with your team. How do you leverage your existing strengths? How do you catalog what capabilities you have within your organization? And then how do you identify what you're lacking? And then that informs your talent acquisition strategy. Yeah. Uh, and if you're able to do that, you might be able to survive the great resignation. And those organizations that can't will be struggling. Yes. Oh my God, absolutely. Uh, we're, we're seeing the great resonation. We're seeing, honestly, uh, there are so many taglines happening right now. It's insane. But the one takeaway, of course, for me um, is that, and I think everyone, because we're seeing it, the great resonation, people just are no longer accepting, uh, you know, what is being given to them. It's like, yes, I, I you know what, honestly, uh, I find it quite but certainly quite interesting, I'll say, is, is a much better word. I find it quite interesting that before COVID happened and disrupted all of our lives, right, and changed everything, no one thought that they were employing human beings. You know, yeah. it's like, were you employing robots? Yeah, numbers, headcount. Excuse me. And of course, changing the culture overnight as well. In today's climate, yes, everyone, I feel like the buzzwords, honestly, are diversity and inclusion. It is yeah. engagement. Uh, it is productivity and having your workforce be all of these things, right? What does it take to, uh, with your superpower in mind, right? And you're the expert at it. What does it take to build that kind of workforce, having an engaged, uh, productive workforce, excited workforce, and not only to build that kind of workforce, but keep that workforce, you know, in that manner? Yeah, I think it's 
always having that as part of the conversation. Where a lot of organizations are struggling right now is they're playing a game of catch up, right? Diversity, equity, belonging, and inclusion doesn't happen overnight. It's something that takes a lot of constant attention, conversation, training, support, and and cultural you know foundation of psychological safety. So you're not going to wake up one morning and have a diverse and inclusive environment. That's not how that works, right? Rome wasn't built in a day and neither was a really healthy cultural environment for work. Mm -hmm. So I I think part of it is making sure it is always part of the conversation at the exec table and at the board table, right? Mm -hmm. And making sure that you're measuring what matters, not that you're just throwing spaghetti against the wall and hoping that it sticks, Mm -hmm. that you're, you're looking at all of these things, not as a moment in time, but as part of your ongoing operations. Because what a lot of organizations are finding is that they are late to the party and that there have been real detrimental you know, impacts to the business as part of it, right? Because we're, we're seeing people in the great resignation that have really, like you, you said earlier, evaluated what's important in their lives and what's important to them in an employer, right? And then they collect these data this data points, right? And that data then informs their decision. Mm -hmm. And if you hadn't been working on these things previously, if you hadn't been paying attention to mental wellness, work-life balance, culture, diversity, equity, belonging, and inclusion, you're a day late and a dollar short. And now that uh, they're also seeing a financial impact for that too, right? Because with that attrition comes replacement positions. In a market that's very hot, so people are paying agency dollars and they're paying premiums for certain pockets of talent because talent is so scarce right now. So they're they're seeing that this isn't just something fluffy, that there's real impacts. Yeah. And so my only suggestion could be, let this be a lesson to all of us, that this is not just important in the year 2021, it is important always. Absolutely, and, and beautifully said. With, with all of that in mind, again, because we're still... I, I hear a lot of post-COVID. I don't think we're post-COVID. It's it's still a very well thing. Honestly, that's yeah. just me. Uh, and it, it's still unfortunately happening and taking shape in our lives. And the effects of what has already, um, uh, excuse me, happened with COVID-19, COVID, uh, who knows the uh, lasting effects, right, uh, for years to come with it as well, uh, and especially in the workforce. Uh, so with, with having said all of that, Carrie, where do you see corporate culture headed? It's a great question. And it's something I've been doing a lot of thought about, uh, thinking about um, and reading, honestly. So many of my colleagues are struggling right now because there has been this great awakening. Mm -hmm. And this great awakening has been, we've all been home or many of us have been home for a long time. And then we've figured out what's good about this, what was difficult about this and what we needed for supports. And we also are looking at what we need as people. So I think a lot of organizations are starting to look at where can work be done, mm-hmm. how can work be done, mm-hmm. and a lot of individuals are advocating for themselves and, and better work-life balance, which is forcing employers to rethink the way they've worked, yeah. the tools that they provide to team members to be successful, yeah. and also what do they do to provide support yeah. for employees in work-life balance, yeah. right? So that's the first piece. I think that the second piece that's really interesting to me is this whole idea of these these supports, 
right? As far as culture is concerned. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bringing the conversation about mental wellness into the workplace and seeing that in order for somebody to feel safe, welcome, and like they belong, you need to be able to be your true self and be able to go through all the phases you go through in life. And that employers are finding that they have the biggest sphere of influence in that by, you know, again, talking about it, by providing support and resources. And so I think a lot of organizations are struggling for their identity and where they fall in this, you know, I, I can't say post-COVID world, but in this new normal yeah. where, where we're all thinking differently. We've all had a bit of an awakening in a sense, and we're all reevaluating all of these different pieces of our lives, including work. Absolutely. Uh, and I love how you use awakening as well. That's probably a new term in my life that I'm throwing it out everywhere. Uh, but <laughs> um, uh, you spoke about, uh, you just spoke about basically coming to work and being who you are. There's a lot of conversation now about, uh, you know, being your authentic self in the workplace versus your adapted self. And uh, quite honestly, uh, from my experience, again, as a woman of color, I don't always feel like that I can bring my authentic self to work uh, and recently I always, I've been pondering, you know, I wonder how someone else would feel or anyone else, a person who is not of color, uh, if they couldn't be themselves at work, you know, how would that make you feel? Uh, because I think that's only the best way to put someone else, uh, in my shoes. I can't speak for other people. Um, yeah. uh, but, uh, any thoughts on that? Not necessarily on the latter part, but just, uh, being your authentic self in the work, workplace uh, versus your uh, adapted self. I've actually been thinking about that a lot lately too. So I am in a new job. I'm three months in, so pretty new. And I've been getting a lot of feedback lately that's been sort of like uh, people shocked by me. Um, but I get that a lot. You're not like any HR person I've never met before. And I always giggle and say, I'm going to take that as a good thing. Yeah. Um, and, and But the other piece is my team has been saying, wow, you're just so authentic and you're so down to earth and you're not like we're, what we're used to in an executive. And, and then I think about that concept. How do you create organizations where people feel like they can bring their true authentic selves to work? Yeah. And I think that when you're a leader, uh, you need to think about how you present at work. Because we model that behavior. You know, if I come into a meeting and I start it saying, listen, I'm under caffeinated. I had a child that was up sick last night. You know, we're going to get through this, but I need a map to string together a sentence with a subject and predicate. All right, let's go. You know, I'm human. I'm fabulously flawed. And some days I have awesome days and some days I am less than awesome. And, it, and, and I think that vulnerability is important. And, and sometimes as executives, we're so focused on presenting this flawless shell that we forget that that human element actually has real meaningful impacts in your team and in your organization. Because when you show up as your real self, you're giving others permission. And I think the other piece is that, you know, celebrating our differences in a way, you know, you, you spoke about, you know, that otherness piece. I feel like I can't necessarily bring my real self to work because I feel this otherness. But what if you walked into work where that otherness was celebrated, right? That difference was celebrated. 
And we talk about, you know, not only from a, a race perspective, yeah. but your style is different than my style. And how great is that? Because you, you know, can do this where I can do this. Yeah. And I think there, there's something else to be said about celebrating that and recognizing that those differences are what breeds innovation, creativity, camaraderie, and engagement. And again, as leaders, people with a seat at the table, it's how we communicate. It's how we model that behavior that has real reverberations in our organizations. Absolutely. Oh, my God. If I had uh, cheerleading, uh, I don't even know what to call it. Pom-poms. Pom-poms. Yeah, see. That's what you're getting for Christmas, my new friend. (laughs) I appreciate it. Uh, Fun fact, I played sports. I wasn't the cheerleader. I played basketball and ran track. So, of course, I wouldn't know that they were called pop-poms, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but I appreciate that. But, but you're, you're, you're right. Uh, you know, again, it, it starts with conversations and it starts with being open and honest. And it's certainly, I mean, all of that is vulnerability. Uh, but, you know, I guess that will be another conversation because a lot of us aren't comfortable with it. You know, if we're not comfortable with vulnerability ourselves, we're not even honest with ourselves. How can we possibly, you know, be honest with someone else? That's a great point. And we're all a collection of our experiences. Mm-hmm. And if we have had experiences before where we've been treated poorly or we have worked in toxic environments, your shell gets harder, That's right? True. And that shapes who you are. Uh, I think having the ability to have supportive mirrors is what I call them. And and a group, a coalition of people where you can work through those things is very important, right? So you can, you know, test ideas with people and have a safe space and and find your people at whether they're at work or not at work. Yeah. Uh, that can help you overcome some of those that history that might be keeping you from from allowing yourself to be your authentic self at work. Absolutely, absolutely, beautifully said, uh, Carrie. Uh, and it also, of course, makes me think of something you said as well. And I understand why uh, you, you said that, uh, you know, in your new place of employment, um, you know, people are like, wow, you're different, you know, than another HR professional that I'm experienced. Uh, you're more authentic, authentic, excuse me. Uh, and quite frankly, I think it's all about mindset, right? It's about perspective. But, but beyond that, right, it's all right. You have to acknowledge, right, that something's wrong here you know, yeah. two, what can I do about it? Uh, three, and I'm, I have a point here. Three, uh, there is, uh, you have to have intention, right? Intentionality to change what's happening uh, and then have the discipline, right? To follow through on it and stand on what you're saying and what you want to do. You said that when you are in a new role, uh, when you go into a new organization, uh, you, you spend the better part of the beginning, right, of that time focused on how you influence the people around you, how you help them understand why people are important and why they have meaningful impacts on the business, of course, uh, as far as organizational organizational development. Uh, could you yeah. talk about that a bit, please? Yeah. So the, the first thing I do is a lot of listening, a lot of asking questions and a lot of listening. Uh, and not just at the top, you know, the, one of the first questions I'll ask are, okay, who are your high performing, high potential people? Who who around here, who makes up the social glue, right? Who's the first person that, you know, knows when somebody's graduating or knows that a baby's being born or, you know, any of those things. And then I talk to them and I ask questions about where they think I should focus, 
what they love about what they do, what they don't love about what they do or the organization. And I collect all of that data. Um, and then I also help people understand why I do what I do, right? I help them understand that, you know, this is my life's work. This is not just a job for me. You know, I, I identify a lot of who I am with what I do and how I do it. And, and so when I'm diving into something, it's because I genuinely care about people because I know that people spend 40 some odd hours of their life a week at work. That is a huge percentage of time. And a lot of dedication. <laughs> and a lot of dedication, yes. And if you're going to be spending that much time that I want you to have a good experience, I want to stimulate your gray matter. I want to make your heart happy. I want to make your hands happy, right? I always talk about the head, the hands, and the heart. Um, so, so that's the other piece. And so they understand the why behind the what. And, and then I start to, uh, you know, I, I joke, I, I make a lot of friends wherever I go, but I start to create this coalition because once people understand that you're in it really for a, a good purpose, that you have the ability to hear people, to listen, and then you form those changes based on what they've told you, you just have an army of people to help you change. And that is very powerful. And now a word from our sponsor. This episode of HR Works is brought to you by Namely. We've all heard the news. The great resignation is affecting so many businesses and keeping employees engaged and connected is crucial to avoid high turnover and it's even higher cost. That's why I recommend Namely, the all-in-one HR solution that offers everything you need to hire, inspire, and retain your workforce. So you can say goodbye to the great resignation and hello to the great re-engagement. Whether you have 50 or 1,000 employees, Namely helps you maintain a great experience for the entire employee life cycle. With onboarding, performance management, and intuitive benefits enrollment, all in one connected platform. Plus, Namely can streamline your payroll, time tracking, and vacation requests, and help make you everyone's favorite HR leader. Companies are built on people. Don't let either fail. Learn more about making the switch to Namely. Go to Namely.com today. Don't wait. That's Namely.com. And now, back to our episode. Ooh, I just got chills. Uh, that. <laughs> that was amazing. That's amazing. And again, right, I might as well just start saying, as always, you're right. Having said that, how can HR leaders and organizations rework their company culture, culture to make it more uh, inclusive, make it more diverse, yeah. uh, make it, you know, where uh, people feel like they belong. Yeah. So, you know, I look at these in such different lenses, right? I think when we look at the belonging piece, the belonging piece, I think managers have a great amount of control over this, Mm -hmm. Um, as do, you know, sometimes your cultural committees, how you welcome people into the organization. If somebody comes into an organization and feels like an island or doesn't find their people, you know, they, they do feel alone. They feel like they don't belong. Uh, so I feel like a manager, and if you have uh, like a culture committee or your employee ambassadors or uh, buddies or whatever you're going to call them, I think the manager and the buddy can work together towards saying, hey, you maybe you want to join our book club, or did you know about this affinity group? Or there's actually a coffee clutch on Tuesdays where all we go, do is sip caffeinated beverages and gab. Right. And so you get to know people and then you get to know a little about them and 
and what they're interested in. And then you're sort of like a matchmaker for the org. And I think that and um, some other norms you have to create that sense of belonging. Some communication norms could be at the end of every meeting, we ask people for feedback right? Because if I value you, if I value your feedback and you give it to me and I react to it, then you feel like you belong, Mm -hmm. right? Because your voice wants to be heard, right? We want to hear your voice and your voice is going to be listened to. And when we think of the inclusion piece, that's where I piggyback and it sort of grows. You think of inclusion, meaning, you know, we talk about the seat at the table, right? And you shouldn't have a director title and above to have a seat at the table in an organization. So for HR leaders, for members of the C-suite or the executive team, you need to make sure that you have really solid vehicles to pull feedback. And engagement surveys are important, but those are not the only vehicles, right? You should be asking in your one-on-ones. You should be asking your management team. You should be thinking of ways to pulse. You should be thinking about all of your regular communication vehicles and how you pull that. Yeah. And where you categorize or catalog all of those data points so that they don't just sit. Because you can pull data, you can pull feedback all the live long day. If you don't say, I see you, I hear you, and I am capable of change, you're not going to build that trust. Mm -hmm. And then diversity is, you know, that's that's a tougher conversation for certain. Because in a lot of organizations, we're not aware of our, the biases that we come with when we sit at the table, right? And some of us have had exposure to unconscious bias classes or learning that has helped us do self-exploration. And some of us are just naturally more open. And then some of us haven't been exposed to that, right? So I don't think we can truly look at how to approach diversity until we understand how to open up and expand people's minds in our workforce. Yeah. Having said that, on the talent acquisition landscape, there are very real things we can do. We can set internal guidelines, making sure that we're sourcing from diverse candidate pools, right? Mm-hmm. That we're looking at historically uh, uh, diverse uh, educational institutions mm-hmm. for internship programs, you know, entry level positions. We can really think about how we do that from a sourcing perspective. So we're casting a wide and inclusive net so that we're getting more people in the pipeline. So we're increasing our chances. And if we measure that, we can make sure that that happens consistently across positions, across departments, and across organizations. Um, you know, that's hard work to do, but it's important work. Mm-hmm. Hard work to do, uh, important work to do, very necessary work to do. Uh, but I think also going back, piggybacking to just our differences in itself, we're doing that. I think we may see and understand and realize like, hey, we're not so different after all, after all, you know? Yeah. You know, listen, I grew up as a city girl. You know, and um, I just recently uh, befriended a new colleague that's from the great state of Utah Mm. and Queens, New York and Salt Lake City, Utah couldn't be any more different, you know, and we come from different cultural backgrounds, different Mm. religious backgrounds. And I'll tell you with my new friend, there's more that binds us together from how we lead, 
how we think of business, even yeah. our musical tastes, uh, how we you know parent our children. Yeah. There are so many similarities there. And we do, we celebrate the fact that, you know, he's a little bit country, I'm a little bit rock and roll. <laughs> uh, but that's that's one of the fun things about yeah. our relationship. So I think that there are a lot of things that bind us together. And I think celebrating those similarities and where we align and also celebrating the ways that we're a little different, that breeds that newness, you know, uh, the enjoyment of learning about a new culture or a new background, you know, uh, and celebrating that uh, and finding the joy in that is also really important. Absolutely. And I think all of us could use just a little bit, if, if only a little bit more joy in our lives with COVID and uh, what is happening. So let's, what we can control, let's control it. Let's make the best of it. Uh, as I always say uh, to myself personally and how I go into any relationship, job, friendships, family, whatever uh, it may be, you know, I do not want to harm others and I'm not going to allow others to bring harm to me as well. Yeah. So first rule, do no harm. <laughs> Do no harm. Do no harm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but uh, we're going to piggyback just a little bit here. Uh, honestly, yeah. all of you, all of what you just said makes me think about. It makes me think of your time uh, at the Harvard University Police Department, uh, and yes. it makes me think about also your statement tied to that with uh, humble inquiry, humble humble inquiry. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, and you said that your biggest takeaway from that uh, your time there is understanding the community you're going into who the players are, what their unique needs and challenges are from a people perspective. How important yeah. is that that mindset or uh, humble, humble inquiry, right? Uh, when yeah. stepping into a new role. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the most important thing. Uh, and it's, you know, one of the basic leadership principles I have is Dr. Edgar Schein uh, is the person who birthed the art of humble inquiry or the fine art of asking really good questions to pull out truth from people and to uh, create learning. And I am a lifelong learner. And learning about people, organizations, and business is what really lights the fire in me. Mm -hmm. And I think when you go into a new organization, I think an important thing is learning, right? And using those questions, that art of humble inquiry to find out about where you are. And if you become gifted in that art, I think you can go into any discipline. And if you had said to me at the beginning of my career, Carrie, you're going to go into a police department with people who carry guns um, and you are going to work for them and with them, I would have said, you're shining me on. <laughs> no, no way. No, forget it. Um, and it was one of the most gratifying experiences in my life uh, because I had preconceived notions of what it was like to be a person who worked in law enforcement, yeah. right? I, you know, knew that I was scared to a certain extent, and that's coming from, you know, my place of privilege. And I, you know, had this fear and a lot of it was of the unknown. I'd never really known people in law enforcement. And as I, you know, came in and asked questions you know, about what was important to them. How do they feel when they go on, you know, a shift? If they have to engage with somebody, how do they feel? What's important to them from a training perspective? You know, what keeps them up at night? Mm -hmm. uh, what do they worry about? You know, what are their favorite parts of what they do? Why did they choose to do what they do? Mm -hmm. You know, you get all of this information and it was 
such an amazing part of my career. Uh, and I think I may have mentioned this in one of our other conversations, you know, I would walk in, I'd be late to my desk during shift change yeah. because I'd be getting hugs before I would go to my desk. Mm -hmm. And then I was put on bed rest before one of my maternity leaves, which was super challenging. And let me tell you that my porch was full of food every single day while I couldn't stand up. And that just says to you, you know, you think about cultures and family. And let me tell you, that was some good food. We're not talking about takeout. We're not talking, we're not talking about dialing it in, stepping it up. Yeah. Um, so, you know, from asking those questions and from really wanting to understand who they were, who they are, what they appreciated, what their struggles are, we built this family and this really tight-knit, trusting environment. And it's, yeah, I will always speak about it fondly for the rest of my life. Absolutely. That's such a beautiful thing. And again, food is also another way that we can come together as well. And I have no qualms with trying something new. I don't care what it is for the most part, yeah. what it is. If it's good, if it's tasty, you've got like, I'm saddling up right here. I'm all about yeah. So, so yeah, so. Food is That's one of the things I miss about in-office things is people, you know, sharing those, you know, culinary talents and you know, different things from, you know, different backgrounds, uh, you know, because that food is definitely one of the ways, one of the many ways to my heart. Absolutely. Absolutely. One day we're going to have to share a meal. I'm going to have to uh, cook something for you. So. So, so into it. Yes, please. <laughs> absolutely. That was all of my questions for you. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before I ask you, honestly, my, my final question uh, for our conversation? Yeah. The only other thing that I've been doing a lot of thinking about, have you been listening to all the conversations about languishing? Languishing? No, please, please. Oh my gosh. So part of this whole, you know, coming out of COVID or emerging as we try to emerge and, and rise from COVID and from the past few years where there's been, you know, a lot of difficulty, whether it's, you know, climate and weather related, social injustice, you know, racial injustice. And then of course, you know, pandemic, there's been this rise in, in what we've been calling languishing, where so many people feel like they've spent the past few years frozen in time and that, you know, we talk about a rise in, you know, mental, you know, illness needs, but also that this other, you know, feeling of people just being genuinely unsatisfied or dissatisfied mm -hmm. and this idea of languishing. So when I, you know, we talked before about the idea of awakening, yeah. I think that as HR practitioners and as, you know, leaders and stewards of culture, mm -hmm. I think one of the things we should start to pay attention to mm -hmm. is what can we build in our organizations to kindle people's fires? right? To help them with their head, their yeah. hands, and their heart, and to think about how do we wake them up, right? Mm -hmm. Is it coaching opportunities, you know, peer-to-peer -peer groups? Is it starting to have thought pieces and dialogues? Because people have been in this weird holding pattern for a few years, 
And now so many of us are looking for more. We're looking for more from our relationships. Mm -hmm. We're looking at more from our family. We're definitely looking for more with our employers, right? So what can we do as we're fighting this, you know, as people are languishing and sometimes people are leaving to seek that, what is it we can do together to, again, ignite that fire in people and to help them find their passions, help them pursue their passions Mm -hmm. and help create a culture where that's not only welcome, but encouraged. And also we give people the, you know, the thought mechanisms and the support to do it. Wow. Absolutely. I have not heard about languishing, but you've certainly ignited my fire, pun intended, (laughs) and I'm going to look into it uh, and research everything that I can. Wow. That's amazing and certainly true. What can we do, you know, what can what can HR uh, leaders and managers do to ignite that passion, that fire? Okay, you've certainly given me something to ponder, uh, so I'm not going to do that uh, in, in this. <laughs> but honestly, I was going to leave you with our final thought. Yes, please. Our final thought at this table, I guess, what's on your heart? My heart right now um, and what's present of mind for me is that an I sit in, in my seat in the cheap seats, as I call it, right? I see a bunch of organizations going through hyper change. And the one thing I keep going back to is how do we foster a sense of community and support? So what I leave individual contributors with out there, what I lead leaders with uh, is the question, what three things can you do today, this week, this month to promote a sense of community and belonging in all of your organizations. And then the second part is how can you encourage other people to do the same? Because many of us right now are on the struggle bus. And if we all committed to do a little more, to be present, to be caring for our other community members, I think we can all get through it together. So how do you spark that in your organizations and how do you personally accept responsibility and what can you do to spread that uh, enthusiasm and support with others? Carrie, I truly appreciate you taking the time to converse with me uh, today. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I always get so energized by our conversations and I love, you know, your questions. Talk about humble inquiry, my friend. (laughs) Nail it. So it's been wonderful. You are a joy. I appreciate that. You are a joy as well. And of course, you're far too kind. Uh, I, I only match the energy that I give. So kudos to you as well. To our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. Again, this is the first of many conversations here. Join us next time at A Seat at the Table. We'll certainly have your chair waiting for you as well. We hope you enjoyed that very special preview of A Seat at the Table, hosted by Bianca Heron. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to look for regular episodes of A Seat at the Table starting in December. And for additional diversity, equity, and inclusion conversation and coverage, you can always visit HR Daily Advisor at hrdailyadvisor.com. As always, thank you for listening to the HR Works podcast. Check back with us for new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms, including Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Amazon Audible.